Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbyterio San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. And please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpresby.org. Thank you so much for listening. As I've mentioned, uh, uh, Reverend Henry Kim is here to join us, and we are going to be talking about uh, ministry, different ministry strategies and different ministry paradigm into the uh, next season that all of us are looking forward to, that is the post-COVID uh, time. So this is a little bit of an appetizer, getting us ready for um, the, uh, the conference and also getting us ready for uh, the unfolding realities of God's mission through the church, and specifically in the San Fernando Presbytery. How are you doing today, uh, Henry? Hey, you know, it's a beautiful day. Uh, it's a whole lot better than uh, two feet of snow and uh, 10 degrees. So I'll take it every day here. So, Well, we're glad you're here and uh, already uh, very active and leading uh, the, the congregation, along with the session at uh, First Presbyterian Church of Encino. Um, one of the things that uh, we share in common is that uh, we have returned uh, from uh, to, to Presbyterian San Fernando after, you know, being around in different parts of the country. Um, how, how was that process for you of coming back? Uh, tell us and tell us more a little bit about that church uh, uh, that you're serving. Well, it was a long process, as you probably can imagine. Uh, taking a new call and moving during uh, the COVID is uh, no fun during a pandemic. Um, and it took a long time. I mean, it's probably the longest call period a process that I've ever been through. Um, we're still not technically done because I still have to do an installation service for myself. Um, and we're going to ramp up, hopefully get that done soon and do it virtually. But yeah, it's... Um, it was a good fit. I've been, uh, the, the previous church, uh, the call was over, um, as some of us, you know, as many of us know, and, uh, God put it in my heart that we need, you know, we need a new place. And Encino provides opportunity and return to, you know, kind of a home in many ways. Um, so yeah, it was just lined up and the opportunities for ministry, especially if they come out of COVID, were incredibly tantalizing here. Um, you know, God, I guess, put a lot of dreaming into my heart and uh, about the possibilities and the resources and just uh, the folks here are uh, wonderful and we clicked. And that's, uh, I think that's why. I mean, there's a lot more there, but, you know, we can do that off to the side over coffee sometime as least, you know, as saying home in Hawaii, you can talk story all day long, but, uh, but that's probably the preview. It just, it just was a really great, you know, threefold affirmation of call to come back, come back home in many ways. Well, we're glad you did. Let me, uh, let me tell you one of the things that uh, 
Presbyterian San Fernando has as a, an important element of its strategy is going deep uh, in our sense of rootedness and um, having having um, a connection to to yes our Presbyterian identity and who we are and finally in Christ and then as part of this connectional church uh, and I understand your Presbyterian roots go back several generations. Uh, can you share a little bit more about that? I guess uh, for as long as Presbyterianism has existed in Korea, I've been, my family's been part of it. Um, I'm from Pyongyang originally, my family, uh, which is a, uh, which was the capital of Christianity in Korea. Uh, my father uh, was a Presbyterian pastor um, and many, many people in his family. Uh, back to his grandfather, was a missionary aide back in the early 1900s. Uh, so uh, my mother is a Presbyterian pastor. She remarried after my dad. My dad passed away, and she's remarried to another Presbyterian pastor. So um, I'm kind of stuck, as it were. But it's you know uh, it's great. Uh, you know, as a child, I said I would never be a pastor, and so you know God laughed, as Mark Twain said. And so yeah, um, but you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, this is where I grew spiritually into ministry. Um, I worked actually at a uh, Westlake. I worked at the Woodland Hills Presbyterian Church uh, one as a seminary student uh, almost 20 years ago now. And so uh, Jerry North and I, he, he, he was kind enough to have breakfast with me re regularly. And I've taken classes from other Presbyterian pastors in this seminary, at the seminary. Um, so yes, it, it feels like I have a lot of ties here. So it's just... Uh, uh, both generationally, but also to this part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and one thing is that, as you know, uh, the, the area that our presbytery serves is is growing uh, tremendously diverse, and both ethnically, linguistically, and also I will include socioeconomically. Um, so, what what would be uh, I mean, is, what is your perception of things, how things have changed since last time? Do you see um, that like, the communities have continued to change? And uh, how do you, how do you uh, see that, um, you know, how would you suggest to churches that are wanting to engage in that, uh, those new realities? Well, I think first is, um, is the realization, I know most of us, the realization uh, is that, we're never going to go back to how it was. You know, you can put that pin in anywhere you want, but even we're never going to be back to the church that we were in March last year in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I obviously I'm entering and I just started here in, in January, but I think the first realization is um, just like after 9-11, uh, just like uh, we're going to have a new normal. Uh, our communities have shifted around us. Uh, the ways that people have uh, have understood church have have uh, have shifted. Uh, depending on who you talk to, Gallup uh, and also uh, a few others have done um, some. You know, uh, Barna has done a lot of research on uh, on folks in churches. And I love this quote uh, from Tom Ryan. Uh, he put it: uh, "There, there are people who ha have." habitually gone to church. And if you do a lot of surveys and I've done a lot of consulting with churches, uh, they go to church because it's their habit. But this quote is really, I think, devastating. 
uh, from a gentleman. I've been going to church for, for so many years. I don't even know how long it's been. Mm. It was what I expected to do on Sunday morning. I, now I sleep in on Sundays and I may or may not watch the Facebook service. Uh, I really like this new schedule. I really am not sure that I'll ever return to church again. And so I think the challenge for us is um, we've learned to be tech adept in many ways. But the expectation is as soon as we can get back into service, we're going to stop. But I think we miss an opportunity uh, if we don't take a deep look into the community around us, because even pre-pandemic, the church was declining. You know, Presbyterian church was declining, Um, both as a denomination and as individual churches. Most Presbyterian churches were not growing. So the, for, the, for the question for us is, how do we capitalize on this opportunity for change? Because our people expect things to change. And our people also expect us to, uh, to also come back together into the building. But I think now is a unique opportunity as we come out of this, you know, March, June, August, you know, May, June, July, probably not even until August or September, if we listen to Dr. Fauci, uh, when we are going to be able to gather again on a regular basis. So for me, uh, all this means that I have a unique opportunity. Uh, my people are ready for change. They understand the challenge. Uh, and it's as a pastor and as, you know, as, as a, a bunch of colleagues, our job is to prepare the ground for that change. And part of that challenge is to really, really look at what our neighborhoods need. I mean, I don't know what neighborhood means for each church here, but you know, what I'm consulting is where is our reach? Mm-hmm. Where is our, our natural reach? Maybe that is just the five blocks around the church. Maybe it's the whole region, depending if you're a church like Bel Air or Menlo uh, and other places, that's a huge reach. But if you're, we're here, like my church is a small church. It's, you know, we probably have less than 60, 70 in worship on Sunday mornings, pre-pandemic. Um, so it's a smaller reach, but I have 200 families that come to my church every day, give or take, to use our preschool. You know, I have, you know, businesses in, around me and what is, you know, the opportunities. And I look at that and look at, you know, what other churches have done during the pandemic. There's a church that turned part of their fellowship hall into a laundromat. Because, you know, people need that. Mm. And they invite them in to use that, uh, you know, during certain hours, of course. But two times a week, they set up uh, daycare so that parents, single parents can come in, workers, and wash their clothes and their kids are safely monitored. I mean, what's, you know, could we capitalize on that? I don't know. Is that a need? I don't know. Um, You know, it's like I live at... I look at my parents using my preschool. They're generally affluent. They're generally wondering. But as I talk, as I, you know, as I make sure that I'm at the, the pickup and drop off time sometimes when my, you know, when they come to pick up their kids and I just say, hello, I got into a really interesting discussion with a young lady and young, 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 you know, uh, who was a nurse, got her inoculation. Um, and we start, got into this conversation and I asked a simple question that I think all of us need to be asking is what do you need? You know, what do you need us to do? It's not what should I do to attract people? It's I think it's more of a what do you need? And I've got to give them 
And I think the other part is, if I want to recapture the folks that have drifted away right now, I've got to give them a reason to come back to church and it's not worship on Sunday mornings generally. The people who've stuck on the video cast, those are the people who want the worship on Sunday morning more than anything else. And those are an easy get, they're your base. Mm -hmm. But the two groups that I'm looking at reaching out to, one is how do I recapture those who haven't gone somewhere else? They haven't left the church per se, but they've gotten like that gentleman that talked about, why should I come to church instead of go play golf or sleep in, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So give them a reason to come back to church. And I don't know what that is right now. I think that's mission, that's ministry. How can we make a difference in your life? And we can get into all of that. There's a lot there on back. But the other part is, how do I meet the needs of the community so that the church is relevant again? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a post-Christian thing. Yeah. Most of our, you know, most of our, uh, most of the world in our context think they know what church is all about, that post-Christian endeavor. It's harder than when, you know, Billy Graham was doing crusades and people didn't hear the gospel, you know, 70 years ago. Today, the image I love is we're in a hole because people think they know what church is about. It's about molestation, sexual crimes, taking money, you know, the laundry list, right? Right. Yeah. And so, so, you know, that's all that stuff. So we're digging out of that post-Christian malaise because we're not, well, culture doesn't show us very, very, you know, very nicely. You know, there is no esteem for pastor anymore outside in the world. But, you know, the, the question for us is how do we reach them? And that's really targeted at understanding our community, understanding the people we can do outreach to effectively, um, and also figuring out what kind of outreach is there. I mean, the only ch- the churches I see growing, I see two groups of churches that are growing. One group is the ones, is the group that is, that is basically stealing sheep from other places, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the really effective new church starts, which I look at, or redevelopments, however you want to put it, are the ones that make a relevant difference in their communities. And those, if you look at the number, 70 to 80% of those churches are new believers. Yeah. Yeah. And why are they growing? They're growing because if you talk to those young millennials, especially in places like Manhattan, they're growing because they belong to something that matters. They belong right. to something that makes a difference in the world around them, whether that around them means uh, just in their neighborhoods or means in the greater world. That, but they feel like they're part of something bigger. And that's Absolutely. what, and that's so, so I guess that's sorry I went so long, but that's kind of the, what the reason I'm at here at, at uh, First Presbyterian Encino. I think we have that opportunity. The people that, that were part of my PNC, the people I interacted with on my session, the people on my mission team. They all to seem to have that passion and desire to share with the world that message of God in their lives and why it matters to belong to a community that supports each other, which is great, mm-hmm. but also supports each other so we can do crazy, wonderful, risk-taking service <laughs> and ministry <laughs> to the world. I like I like the crazy risk-taking side of things because it's part of the element that we need to recapture, right? I mean, um, my sense is 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 this, um, the perception of people um, is that church is 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 only a safe space and it should be and 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 we're committed to that. But it is also a brave space, a place of of, of transformation and change, right? And and I think Encino is uniquely positioned 
uh, to to be part of that and call people into that guts movement uh, of of exciting new possibilities um, using a, a tagline that that is a part of 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 who you are new possibilities that God makes possible. By the way, again, welcome everyone that is um, part of this call and and uh, at uh, at around. Probably 12.30, 12.35, we're going to pause and read questions that you may have. So feel free to add them to the question and answer um, section. Those of you that have joined us um, more recently, this is um, the Presbyterian San Fernando virtual meetup. And my name is Juan Sarmiento, and I have the pleasure of having this um, very enriching conversation with uh, Reverend Henry Kim. Uh, about um, uh, new paradigms of ministry, approaches to ministry, ministry strategies in light of um, the the uh, reality of COVID. One thing that you mentioned, Henry, is that this has given us probably the opportunity to look at our neighborhoods and our relationships in a different way, um, and 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 perhaps even look at ourselves and our potential and our possibilities. Part of it is the relationship with our facilities. And and uh, one of the wonderful things that First Presbyterian Church of Encino has is, is very, very nice facilities. Uh, tell us about how this whole pandemic might probably change a little bit of our of, of the ways in which we look and use our facilities. You know, it's you know, facilities are hard. There's a there's an old paradigm that a busy church campus is a is a healthy church campus, right? But busy how is is the thing we never talk about. Um, if we uh, when I go, I, I do church consulting. I, I do you know I was part of the new I'm part of the New Beginnings program. Of right. uh, used to come out of the evangelism office in the at the general GCA, you know general general assembly council. But now I work for them and they're part of a, a more of an umbrella parachurch organization. We work with like mm-hmm. five different denominations. Right. Um, but one of the things I hear when I consult with churches is we have a busy campus and they do. They're so busy that burning out all their volunteers. You know, mm. it's like they've got 14 Bible studies. They've got, you know, prayer meetings every morning. They've got, you know, all kinds of things. And they're, none of them are bad per se. But what they've lost focus with often is what is the purpose of church? You know, and I'll be blunt there. A lot of their modality is their place where like-minded can gather to feel good and feel nurtured. And that's not bad, but they forget the last step. They forget, you know, that little thing called the great commission to go (laughs) and make disciples, not just to make disciples inside your house, but take the disciples are supposed to go and make more. Um, and it's a challenge to tell, okay, you're doing all of these things that are all inwardly focused. What are you doing? That's outwardly focused. You know, what are you doing to, you know, talk to your community around them, around yourself. If you're, if you're, if you're a 98% white church, Anglo church in in the middle of a 40% Hispanic, 10% Asian, you know, community, you know, you know, some African-American and a few other sprinkling of other things thrown in, um, you don't have to reflect, you know, racially or ethnically the community around you, but what are you doing to connect with the community around you? You know, you, you understand what I'm saying, Juan? It's mm-hmm. like if you're just meeting on Sundays and you're getting the, going to the building for Bible studies and you're doing things like that, that's great. And if you you know, might have a food pantry, you might have, 
you know, you might, you might donate, you know, stuff to different, you know, charitable organizations and write checks to, to the entities around you. That's nice. But what are you doing to connect with the community? What are you doing to talk to the community? Say, how can we minister to you? How can we, you know, meet the need, not just of those inside our walls, but really meet the needs of the folks, you know, outside of, and I'm not going to disparage food pantries. You know, they're really critical you know, food insecurity has grown exponentially since the pandemic started. But the other part of this whole equation is, you know, Jesus did it really effectively. He took felt needs and then he transitioned them to their real needs or spiritual needs. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like for us as churches, you know, that's the paradigm, you know, that I really believe in. You know, my heritage comes from my, my father was a pastor, Young Now Presbyterian Church in Seoul, you know, the largest Presbyterian church in the world, you know. Got about 300,000 members, I think now. But that church started because a few guys saw a need uh, with refugees during the Korean War. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how that church started. They didn't have worship services. They didn't have prayer services when it all began. They were just providing food and shelter. And then they, they got them the opportunity to talk about their message, why they were doing it, because of the call of Christ to feed, to, you know, to clothe, to shelter. And I think for us is we've gotten well away from that. We got great buildings. This is a great facility. We have two, you know, like I said, we have a great preschool. Um, we have, you know, nice fellowship hall. We have all these facilities and we're right on Burbank, you know, uh, not Burbank. We're right on uh, uh, two of the major arteries and we're surrounded. Ventura. Yeah. Close you know, to Ventura. Yeah. Of course. We're right, right. Two blocks, you know, from Ventura. We're just, you know, we're on Balboa Boulevard, which is a major, you know, street. And it's just like, you know, what can we do to really impact our community around us? And, and every community is different. I mean, if you're at, you know, West Hollywood, you're different, or you're at La Cañada, you're very different from my, my context. But your context is your context. And the question is, you know, whether it's people making, you know, nine, you know, seven, eight, nine digit incomes, or it's, or people who are living on the street, you know, what is, what, what are their needs? How can we connect with them? And how can we give, how can we create moments? I call them uh, aroma moments. You know, like, have you ever walked into a situation or a room or a house and you just smelled bread and you didn't, weren't hungry for bread before you walked into that situation. But as soon as you smelled it, you know, your mouth starts salivating, your, st your stomach starts growling and, you know, you want some. And so, the, so for me is how do I create moments in, that I can demonstrate for those without a faith, without, you know, without, you know, without a church home, that this is something they need. This mm -hmm. is the, you know, this is that thing, you know, for me, it's like, it's like me the other day, I was driving by Porto's, you know, Oh, one of my favorite places. Yes. <laughs> and I smelled, <laughs> I smelled the bread and I just had to, I'm glad. I'm glad it's by appointment only over there now because I would have stopped and bought. But <laughs> <laughs> but how do we do that for our churches? How do we get them to stop and buy? You know, right? And, and that is one of the questions uh, Barbara Hatton uh, has has asked. The days of visiting people in their homes are long gone. How do churches connect with neighbors and learn what they want and need? Which is, you know, a, a great question. What What would you say about about you know? Yeah, we can't 
necessarily visit, especially with COVID. If we if we go to someone's, um, uh, you know, we get close to someone and we were suspects or uh, potential threats. So, how do we how do we engage? Uh, well, you know, it's really fun um, to think of different ways. I mean, that's the question. I think one of my favorite techniques, and I have, I'm waiting for post COVID to do this, or at least smaller pods, is. Uh, Okay, I'm Presbyterian and not Baptist because I love cheese and wine. Tasty. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. And and for those of you who are clergy here, uh, the the thing, the reality that we like to get away from, we talk about uh, you know a priest of all believers, and that's critical. But when I say I'm the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Sino, I become First Presbyterian Church in Sino for everyone I come into contact with. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I use that. I leverage it. What I do then is I ask, you know, a couple of my members, maybe uh, who have non-church friends say, hey, would you be willing to just host uh, a wine and cheese thing or just, you know, tapas thing or a barbecue and and just uh, have me as part of the entertainment or whatever host. So I can talk about church, talk about talk about something uh, that we're doing that's really fantastic that we'd love them to get involved with. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, at one church I was at, we had we, we were doing a Habitat house. So I got a few friends in the community um, and they hosted several dinners to raise funds and to raise volunteers to be part of that Habitat ministry. I didn't invite them to come to my church. I invited them to come swing hammers, donate and put ruse on houses. Right. Uh, the same thing we did when we were going down to Katrina to do uh, hurricane relief. Uh, we got people in our community. I, you know, I talked to my congregation members. Hey, do you know contractors? Do you know people who will be willing to do some hard labor for a week to come with us to re-roof re re buildings, to work in those communities that were devastated by Katrina and, uh, and Rita? And it's using those middle step opportunities, you know, as, as one of my professors put it, uh, events that I can ask people to show up at that aren't church necessarily, but that work, you know, that work get, gives them the opportunity to work alongside to mm -hmm. see how we live out our faith. Right. And right. because if I talk to like, I remember a gentleman, Emmett, who ran, who was the, who, who ran a uh, fabrication company, a steel fabrication company. And he was one of my, my son's friends, you know, my son was friends with his son and we ran into each other. And I said, I knew he was handy. And so we're talking what I do, what we're thinking about doing. And he unsolicited with me. He's like, Hey, next time you go on one of these trips, talk to me. I'd love to go. Mm -hmm. So it's not about showing them, Hey, you want to come to Sunday morning? That's a high barrier actually. But if I turn to Emmett or turn to, you know, John or whoever and say, hey, we're going to go do uh, we're going to go hand out food to the homeless um, at the uh, rescue mission in downtown L.A. Do you want to help us? You know, we need mm -hmm. a few more hands. And that is one big um, element, because sometimes I mean, I'm thinking of communities that where you ask them directly, what do you need? They'll say, well, I don't need anything. And, you know, why are you asking? I mean, but but part of the need of our communities is to feel that they are part of something greater, of, of a cause, of a movement, of something that will add uh, value to their communities or to our cities. And, and if the church can be perceived 
as a place where that cares for the city and invites others to join along, uh, that would be wonderful. One thing that I see as a perception of people is, okay, you know, church, and, and we need to face a reality where church is not normal anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it has been misrepresented sometimes because of our own doing, uh, and we made it very easy for people to misrepresent us as, as um, you know, some kind of... Uh, of, of uh, organization that seeks to hang on to the past and, 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 and things of that nature, some kind of supremacist movement or something like that. But, but, but uh, there has to be an, um, a common ground uh, where, where we engage one another and, and hey, uh, help people rediscover or revisit uh, the, their own position, uh, at times very negative and guarded towards um, uh, the, the Christian message and life. One of the questions that we have received in, um, from Joyce Osborne is what kind of music program do you have in Encino? Do you use that as an outreach? Um, is, that, uh, is that a way, it, it, that could be a way of engaging people in these new times? Um, tell us a little bit more about that, Henry. It, well, we have, a, we have a traditional worship service here. I mean, mm -hmm. and we, we hire soloists, uh, we have a, you know, incredible pianist, organist. And, uh, I guess my advice to churches is worship style, unless it's particularly, um, uh, relevant to your community, doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's any kind of church is so alien that the music you do is more of a, okay, I'll take it as long as it's good. I guess the, the biggest thing is if you're doing traditional worship, do it with excellence. If you're doing contemporary worship, do it with excellence. I mean, my particular uh, flavor of music that I like best uh, for worship, we never do. I would never do in my church because it's out of context. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. I like you know more edgy, hard rock kind of you know worship music. Uh, but even the idea of worship music is out of context because you know I go to you know I go to uh, Saddleback or other places, you know, Eagle Rock, they're great worship music, but that attracts other Christians. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if you, if you look at some of the Barner research, the people who have fallen away, the, the, the children and the grandchildren of those who went to church, they actually like contempt. They don't, they're not attracted to contemporary worship music. They like the, the, uh, the comfort of more traditional music for non-believers. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard for us to believe, but contemporary worship music is really for those who are already believers. You know, if I, I want to listen to country music, I'll listen to good country music. If I want to listen to good rock and roll, I'll listen to good rock and roll. And worship music is nice, but as one person put it so long ago, if I just replace uh, God with her or him, it almost works as a love song for anything. And that's okay. It's not, 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 not criticizing. What I'm saying is, I think we're, if you make worship authentic, real, however you want, whatever words you want to use, and solid, it doesn't have to be, you know, I, if I want to see polished worship, I'll go to Mosaic. It's really do well done. It's polished to the nth degree. But I look around at me, they don't get people in the door because of the music, though the music lowers the barrier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. they get people in the door with and you talk to you know folks who go to mosaic and these other churches isn't the style of music it's the style of people 
Wow. Yeah, no, that's a big concept there. I agree. I agree. I happen to agree. And, and, and you know what? There's really nothing wrong with edgy. I think that that, that can be an expression of worship as well in yeah, country but- as it could be too. But, but uh, how authentic it is, how much does it represent uh, the reality of our life and our faith and how inviting it is too also? You know, how can people be part of uh, see themselves uh, a part of, of, of what's happening. Yeah. Juan, for me, it's, it's not about the music. It's, it's about how do I bring this person who is really interested in my community, you know, like a business would call it onboarding, right? Mm-hmm. How do I onboard a person into my, into my company in the same way? How do I onboard someone into my church? You know, I remember uh, in my church in Chicago, we had a, we had a, a blended service, you know, it was, it was good. We had an incredible organist and choir director. We had uh, a really young, dynamic uh, worship leader, you know, guitar. And they did a lot of stuff together to blend that, you know, actually blend the music together instead of just one song, another song. It actually blended. But, but the, the, the thing we did, though, is when people came into our community, we, as part of not the new members class, but as the per- people coming in, hey, this is how we do worship. This is why we do it. And it was a conversational thing. Mm-hmm. And it was usually we paired someone with a, with a peer. Just like if you go into a lot of really good companies, they'll give you a peer mentor to, 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 to help you understand the new, new, new company's culture. Mm-hmm. In the same way, we had other people come alongside these folks who are new and just say, hey, if you have any questions, this is why we do this. This is where we find this. But, you know, I'm here to be, you know, someone you can ask questions. And there are no dumb questions. This is why we do the liturgy this way. This is what it means. Um, and we train them and we pick them because they had the, the gift of, of welcome. You know, mm-hmm. they had the gift of making feeling people feel comfortable and not dumb. You know, right. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. it's not about hey, we do weird things here in the church because we have church culture and every church has different culture. So it's like, this helped me, you know, it's like, it's like that old C.S. Lewis quote, you know, consider me a patient, right? Right. Who's been here a little longer. Let me show you the way, you know, to, to yeah. butcher that quote. And it's like the same way, I think in, in, our, in our situations, you know, pick three or four really great people who are just, you know, warm, comforting people and, you know, train them a little bit and they'll do what they comes naturally, just explain and make them, you know, and that's, I think that that works really well. Um, and that also make, means that, you know, uh, it gets really comfortable for people to ask these folks, you know, questions. And then they, and it, and it worked out. A lot of these people, folks become mentors in other aspects of their life because they're so comfortable with asking. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a very neglected element. I mean, we, we uh, Presbyterians tend to think, okay, who has the best preacher and music in town will um, draw the largest numbers, right? Um, <clears throat> fascinatingly, I mean, I'm not sure that drawing the largest numbers is, is what we're here on earth for. I mean, uh, as important as that is. But one thing is we do care for people. And for showing in our relationships with them uh, the reality of of uh, of um, uh, this walk, um, the new uh, new walk that we can have with God uh, through Jesus Christ. So, so I've, something I heard is that it is not how friendly a church is either; it is how many friends um, or how many real friends can you make. Uh, the real friendship element is is 
supremely important. And that's why we also, as, as a Presbyterian, we're looking for spaces like this in which we can hear from one another, get to know one another, and walk together uh, in our common sense of call. There is a question here about, um, about your hamburger. Let me see. I thought it, this ca caught my, my attention, especially around lunchtime. Um, question for Henry. Have you been to the Stamberger place around the corner of your church? <laughs> <laughs> uh unfortunately yes it's it's wonderful actually <laughs> you know it's uh I, I gotta tell you it's uh it's a nice burger um uh, but i'm a uh I'm a, I'm a simple man i just just give me a double double with grilled onions and i'm very happy uh maybe occasional animal style but uh you know the stand is nice it's more expensive than in and out but there's the line's shorter but uh no, I, 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 yeah, I've been, I, I like to eat. I like food. I, you know, I've got a lot of uh, Korean in me. I mean, a ministry is, 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 is set around food and there's something with breaking bread with people that, right. uh, that breaks down walls and relationships. So, yeah. And by the way, I love the idea of, of wine and cheese. I think from, from wine and cheese and wine and crackers, uh, there's not that big of a distance, right? So you can, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's it, okay. I joke with wine and cheese, but it's everything from, you know, one of my, one of the hooks I love is, you know, I just say, Hey, you want to come over and meet the pastor and I'll feed you Korean barbecue. Uh, that seems oh, to work you got real me well. There. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to work really well, but it, it's really just about, uh, what, what opportunities can I do to break bread with people? Because when you eat with them, when you drink with them, when you share that, you know, that, that essence of life. Um, there's a, you know, I think that it really, really, uh, lowers barriers and, and allows people to ask, you know, different questions. Uh, you know, I think there's a wonderful give and take, uh, over the table and, you know, you reduce barriers that way. And it's, and they get to see, uh, not the guy who's preaching at them on Sunday morning, but they get to see the guy who is, you know, sharing life you know, gets interrupted by his nine-year-old, you know, asks those kind of questions and, and it's good. It's, it's just like, uh, um, you know, I saw the interplay between my father, who was your classic Korean pastor and uh, his congregation, you know, they never didn't call him by, you know, Reverend Kim, you know, kind of thing, you know, Moksanim. but it's like, you know, for me, I mean, my congregation calls me by Henry, uh, maybe pastor Henry, um, not because I think uh, of the informality as my generation, maybe that's part of it, but I think part of it is I want to share life with them in a way that, uh, you know, others didn't. So that's kind of where, that's, that's kind of where I am on that. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, that's, that's great to know. One thing that, um, that uh, I wanted to uh, bring in is the reality of polarization in today's day and age. I mean, I have, um, uh, yes, certainly been concerned with uh, people that look at um, society as um, uh, evenly divided, 50-50 or 49-51, uh, depending on your version of things. But um, how do you think the churches um, can minister in such polarized moment? I mean, um, uh, it seems to me that also churches tend to say, well, we are the church for uh, the, the other half, or, or no, we are not quite the church uh, that, that sees things those ways. But then, uh, I mean, 
uh, how, doesn't that go against our, our our message of of um, unity as as the one church as as part of the one church uh, of God and 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 how can we deal with um, those realities of polarization in today's uh, days? Well, I think you got to acknowledge it first and foremost, and it's uh, <clears throat> we've got a. <sighs> It's probably one of the most difficult questions uh, because, uh, and I, and there's so many good books out there about it. Uh, you know, we, we can go all the way back to the 1980s and the rise of uh, the moral majority and the polarization of the word evangel evangelical with a particular conservative movement uh, and that taught people for the last 50 years, this is what a Christian looks like. Um, you know, that it polarized the church. Uh, left, right, center, you know, it's like, uh, um, and the challenge for us, I think, isn't uh, to equivocate from our values, but to teach a culture of the, the issue for us isn't uh, conservative, progressive, liberal, uh, isn't about, uh, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And when we allow Christian nationalism, when we allow uh, that, uh, that broader political discussion to derail what we're supposed to be about, which is, you know, uh, the Great Commission, then, uh, then we're, you know, then we're forgetting our purpose. Uh, I think, you know, to, 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 to take a leader from another church, uh, Pope Francis uh, makes people scratch their heads who don't, who aren't Christians. Because he is for, uh, you know, for different ideas about left and right. He's about, uh, he's, he doesn't fit into a box except Christian. You know, on the ideas of abortion, he comes down, you know, as pro-life. On, but on ideas of immigrant rights and, uh, and nationalism and borders, he comes down, you know, on, on, in other places. So they don't, they can't box him because he's Christian. But he's also in dialogue with lots of other folks, you know, mm -hmm. who, who don't, but he's in dialogue because he leads with love. He says, yeah, we differ, but we're all children of God. And I think for us, we have to, we have to work as pastors and as church leaders to reframe the discussion. Okay. You know, it's kind of nice, actually. We're, we're in a not fairly homogeneous region, but fairly, you know, we're diverse in many ways and we disagree on certain points, but for us as leaders, we have to reframe it and reteach. And the challenge is, uh, like all of the great, you know, if you listen to the discussions of a lot of the people who know, understand change, um, you know, Cotter and others in both business literature and everywhere, change, uh, culture change is the last thing to happen after you begin the process. Mm -hmm. And the idea is train your leaders, train those who are influence makers onto modeling this to be in discussion with it, not to get in flame wars. And, you know, and I think the other thing too is, is, is to moderate our media diet, you know, to mm -hmm. understand our media diet, because uh, we get so caught up in this, uh, we often need to just take a step back and refocus. Um, and we have to teach our folks how to approach these conversations. Uh, one of my one of the people I admire uh, took a church that was heavily conflicted in uh, Massachusetts with you know with but 
And they took a process of almost 10 years teaching the church how to deal with conflict. You know, uh, and I love the line that they taught. Conflict isn't the issue. Our inability to deal and resolve conflicts in a healthy manner is the issue. We shouldn't avoid conflict. We should teach people how to resolve it in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. You know, conflict is good. Conflict can give us energy. Conflict can give us new ideas. Conflict can help us deal with real issues in our culture and our society better. The problem beca- gets into what Presbyterians, and I'll, I'll, I'll look at my group, Koreans do best. They avoid, sublimate, uh, you know, talk around conflict until it explodes and the conflict becomes physical or you know, is so toxic that it destroys churches and communities. So, but if we learn to deal with conflict as it begins, if there's a diff- disagreement about different issues and we can create forums and opportunities where there are rules, where there are uh, training on how do we approach conflict when we have with other people, but that doesn't just happen. It happens because we put systems in place. We put training in place. We have people who understand how to mitigate and moderate and, and do all of that. But that takes a lot of work and also takes nuance, which we don't want. We want easy answers, right? We want silver bullets. And when you were talking about real issues, there aren't any silver bullets. There is process, there is struggle, there is wrestling with things and there is outcome, uh, maybe, but the, often it's just continued struggle with each other. That's, I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the hard part about it is we may just get to a point where we agree to disagree, but that's okay because we love each other. You know? <laughs> and, and that's hard because I want to win, right? Yep. And that's also a teaching. Sometimes we don't win, we just live. And we live together, right? Um, yeah. It is it, it is um, our commitment to one another because not only do we occupy the same spaces, but we are uh, part of the body of Christ as fellow believers, right? Yeah. And uh, so wonderful, much to think about. I wonder, um, w- one of the things that I wanted to uh, do is to greet our friends over on Facebook Live. We are transmitting this on Facebook Live. Uh, making it available to other people. But um, um, is there something that you think um, is important for us to um, like consider as we wrap up our time together, something that you think it's, is crucial that, that we consider in terms of how the church and, and our paradigms are changing in light of the current situation and primarily in light of who we are as, as, as a church? I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to teach myself in my church, because I'm teaching myself too, we don't have the answers. We'll mess up. It's okay. You know, learn from it, grow from it, and uh, be humble, you know, about it. Because um, I, I have a few ideas and very few answers. I just hope I come up with better questions every time I turn around. You know, and that's all. I just, you know, I read heavily. I, I try to be humble about things. Um, and I try to, uh, I guess that's, 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 that's the biggest takeaways. We are going to mess up 
and in the end doesn't matter because God's in control. Um, and we just have to learn from the mistakes we make because I'd rather go down making mistakes and learning from them and hopefully growing a little bit than just, uh, you know, choosing not to do anything. So, uh, you know, it's like, I, like I, I, I have a little canned speech I give to the folks I'm working with. We all have choices. We can choose not to change. We can choose to ignore the world or we can choose to follow God um, into something crazy. And I'd rather be crazy for God than as safe at home. So. Yeah. Something along those lines that I heard is a ship, um, you know, it's not meant to stay on, on a docket, right? It is meant to sail. And that is what the church is. Um, and I remind people um, of two things, uh, churches that I've been visiting is one is that the church has been through pandemics before and times of extreme polarization before. And by God's grace, we carry on. Uh, so uh, this is not abnormal. This is probably getting us a little bit more closely in touch with our, our vulnerability and our need uh, for, for us to rely on God um, and, and live lives of faith. And the other thing that I tell people is really that um, we, the church is actually meant uh, to, to go through situations like this. This is what we are made for. Uh, times of crisis and need and uncertainty, um, because in the midst of all that, uh, we can we can uh, glance more fully into the the reality of God's love and presence uh, among us. So, uh, we're grateful that you are there and you, you are uh, uh, part of this community of faith and and churches and ministries called the San Fernando Presbytery. We're grateful for the First Presbyterian Church of Encino. Uh, the wonderful work, work uh, of, of people that uh, that uh, is being done there, and, and uh, uh, we we hope to uh, continue hearing from you and working together uh, so that we can um, do crazy things uh, during crazy times <laughs> like this. Do we have any more questions uh, or some some other? Um, comments or questions at this time. If not, we're going to get ready to wrap up, but I wanted to um, thank everyone for your attention, your participation, your questions, your uh, observations, uh, and also invite you to uh, a few things that we are developing. The first thing is um, the, the deep, wide, and fruitful uh, course uh, on, on Google Classrooms. It's nothing fancy. It's just some basic um, content that uh, kind of reminds me of something that uh, Henry said about onboarding. Now, uh, certainly there's people that know the Presbytery here more than you and I, but it is important that we um, kind of develop a common language and understanding of, of our work together and our sense of call. So um, in order to do that, visit uh, uh, sfpresby.org slash course. And then um, we're going to be giving you more information for the 40-day um, uh, 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 devotional that is uh, our Lent devotional based on Matthew 25. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to reflect and discern the, God, uh, the presence of God with us uh, through this journey. Somebody has said that this COVID thing feels like an extended Lent. 
Uh, and I think some in one way or another it is. And we've been fasting, um, probably not of food, but of um, good uh, uh, fellowship and, and proximity to one another. But uh, we're hopeful too, and, and we need to be sustained and renewed along this journey, uh, the journey that we're going through. And then uh, our conference on March 6th at 9 uh, in the morning uh, with Alan Hirsch, uh, that is an author and a missiologist. And uh, that will be also an opportunity to bring together people from our churches and our new worshiping communities together to um, get to know a little bit more of each other and talk about what God has for us in the future. So thank you again for having, uh, uh, for, for being part of this, Henry, and um, we will continue in communication. Something that I wanted to mention too is that next um Meetup is going to be about our changing neighborhoods, uh, God's mission in our changing neighborhoods. And we will have Manny Flores, who is the executive director uh, for North Valley Caring Services for that. So it is an exciting opportunity, as you uh, all know, talking about the, the immediate needs of our communities. Um, North Valley Caring Services is doing amazing work that is expanding with the partnership of San Fernando Presbytery in feeding more than 4,000 families a week um, and sharing uh, the message of Christ's uh, love uh, with, with those families. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to hear more about um, those efforts and um, how the Presbyterian San Fernando is part of that. Thank you, everyone. And uh, we look forward to staying connected and in communication and praying for one another. Wonderful, wonderful to have you, have you, Henry. Thank you so much. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it uh, with uh, people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much, and God bless you.